Good morning, Meadows. For those who do not know me, I'm Drew Barnes. I'm one of the elders here. Before we dive into our text this morning, let's just pray one more time. Father, you are sovereign over all. And thank you for that wonderful truth. I thank you that these kids are learning about you at such a young age. So, Father, we come with expectation to hear from your word this morning. So, by the power of your spirit, may you open our our hearts and our eyes to the things that you want to teach us this morning. Father, I pray that everything I say will glorify you. In the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. How often do you walk into a bookstore? Okay, well, maybe not too often now. So maybe it's a Kindle library or Kindle store, but I still enjoy going into a bookstore. And maybe you're looking for a new book, and you're looking through all the different categories and genres, and you may quickly find the genre of leadership. There is books and books written on leadership. We also have podcasts dedicated to leadership. We have conferences dedicated to leadership. We have Instagram accounts dedicated to leadership. It's a pretty big topic. And it's not just in the secular world, but even in our Christian world, in Christian ministries, we talk a lot about leadership. We have Christian books dedicated to leadership. We have podcasts dedicated to leadership. We have ministries dedicated to training up leaders. Now, this isn't a bad thing, but how often do you go into a bookstore, you try to search for a podcast or a conference or a ministry that talks about following? Not too often. But yet in our text this morning, we see that Jesus is starting his ministry and he's calling four men. These are the first four disciples that we encounter in Matthew. And he's calling them not to lead, but to follow. And so then the question for us this morning, are you following Jesus? And we're going to explore in this text of Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, what does it mean to follow Jesus? I want to thank you, thank Abby for reading our text this morning. And I do hope that you have your Bibles and you will open with me to Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. If you don't have a Bible, there is a Bible in pew in front of you. And would you join me in Matthew chapter 4 as we look at what does it mean to follow Jesus. Now before we get into Matthew chapter 4 and what it looks like to follow Jesus, I want to lay some foundation first. I think it's something important because as we look into this, we can easily come into the idea that is work-based, that we have to follow Jesus by our works, but I want to assure you that everything that we'll look at this morning is grounded in faith and faith alone. It is what faith in Jesus Christ is what saves us. It is through faith 
that we will step out into obedience and following Jesus. This is the ground and foundation to everything that we'll be looking at this morning. And we'll come back to this idea of faith over and over again. So we're just going to walk through our text this morning. We're going to pause along the way, make some observations, make some comments and application for us this morning. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Let's pause right there for a few minutes. There's a couple foundational things that Matthew is giving us. There's some good information that Matthew is giving us. First, he, Jesus, is walking along the Sea of Galilee. This is the first verb that we encounter. Jesus, there's some intentionality here. He isn't just walking along, just kind of kicking a stone down the beach, minding his own business. There is a purpose to why he is walking. Then we encounter the second verse, he saw two brothers. We'll talk about this word seeing in just a few minutes as we enter into chapter 21, because the same word is used when he sees two other brothers. But this idea of seeing, there's, again, intentionality here. He knows that he is on mission. He's not here just to hang out and have fun. He knows that there's going to be a day where he is going to train up and disciple these men to proclaim the message of the gospel. And so therefore, he has to start calling people to follow him so that he can train them and disciple them. And so he is on mission. He is being very intentional of what he's doing. Let's move on. Matthew continues unpacking, gives us some good information. He saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother, Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Peter and Andrew aren't just schoolboys skipping Hebrew school to go fishing in the sea. Matthew indicates that they were casting their nets into the sea, and he emphasizes because they were fishermen. This was their job. They weren't little schoolboys, but these were people that you would see in the show Deadliest Catch. They were rough, tough dudes. This is what they did for a living. This was their occupation. And along with that, being fishermen is not just their occupation, but it would be part of their identity. This isn't uncommon. We for some of us, take our, some of our identity in our work. We take pride in what we do for our work. If you meet someone new for the first time, one of the first questions you probably will ask is, what is your occupation? And so for some of us, those things are tied together. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. So here's Jesus walking along, Being intentional, seeing two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, who were fishermen, they were in the middle of their workday, in the middle of casting their nets. And this is incredible. 
In the Greek, Jesus uses eight words. In our English version, it's ten words. But he has, Jesus says, follow me, he told them. And I will make you fish for people. Some versions, I'll make you fishers of men. Eight words Jesus uses. Let's look at this a little bit. Follow me. What Jesus is saying here, this isn't a command to them. But he's saying, come here. Come on. Come follow me. I would use this with my daughter Sadie. If I'm preparing her lunch and she's in the other room playing, I'll say, Sadie, come on. Come here. I have something good for you. I have lunch ready for you. Most of the time it's going to be mac and cheese. (laughs) But she knows it's going to be something she will enjoy and that will benefit her. And that's what Jesus is doing. He says, come on, come here. Come follow me. And he explains what he will do. And I will make you fish for people. He's taking their old occupation and giving them a new occupation. And this is, again, incredible, their response in verse 20. Immediately. They didn't talk about it. They didn't say, hey, Jesus, we'll get back to you in a few hours or in a few days or a few weeks. I mean, we got some stuff to take care of first. No, immediately, right then, right there, Matthew goes and says, they left their nets and followed him. Remember, they are casting their nets. They're in the middle of a work week. And they leave everything to follow him. This would be, imagine you're sitting at your desk filling out expense reports. And someone comes in and says, hey, follow me. And you leave everything. You don't press send. You don't, all your papers are scattered on your desk. There's pens and everything all over. You just leave your monitor up and you just walk away. That is what's happening here. They are leaving everything to follow Jesus. So then, let's build that bridge into today. We see a couple things right off the bat, what it means to follow Jesus. The first is about our identity. We no longer identify from things of this world, but we identify as followers of Christ. And so maybe for some today, our identity is what's hindering us from following after Christ. It may be being a father or a mother. It may be our identity in a political camp. It may be on our work As we see, our identity is no longer. But our identity becomes as a follower of Jesus Christ. And when we understand then that our identity is not in the things of this world, but as a follower of Jesus Christ, then we understand that we have a new occupation as well. Last week, Mark Hoffman talked about how we are on co-mission with Christ. This mission that he has set forth that we'll get to at the end of this uh, book, in Matthew chapter 28, is go therefore and make disciples. 
That is the mission that he has given us. And if we are going to do that, we first have to understand, are we following Jesus? Are we a disciple of Christ? And so that means, are we growing in our knowledge of, love for, and obedience to our God while depending on the Holy Spirit? And as we are growing in that, then are we coming alongside others and helping them grow in their knowledge of, love for, and obedience to Christ while depending on the Holy Spirit? That is what he's calling us to. So we, when we understand that our identity is not in things of this world and our identity is in following Jesus, then our occupation changes. Let me give you a personal example. February 2020, I'm about four months out from graduating seminary with an MDiv. For some who are remember upon graduation, whether it was from college or some other degree, worry and fear starts to set in. So you realize that in about four months, I will no longer be in the halls of academia, but I will have to be out in the real world finding a job and providing for my family. And I remember having a conversation with a good friend. As I'm talking about this angst in me, this fear in me, and I said, I must have a pastoral position. And I remember him looking at me and he said, Drew, what happens if God never calls you to be a pastor? I said, well, then all of this time, these four years, all this money would just go to waste. I must have the title of pastor. My identity was wrapped up in this title of pastor. And he said, Drew, you may have to do some heart check before you enter the ministry. And it was weeks and months as I'm preparing to graduate that I realized that my identity isn't in my title of a pastor or an elder or anything else, but is my identity is found as a follower of Jesus Christ. And when I understood that, then I understood it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter if I'm a golf instructor for the next 60 years because my mission is to go and make disciples, period. And so even if I'm just a faithful member of a church for the rest of my life, may I be faithful in making disciples. And so it doesn't matter if you're single or married, It doesn't matter if you're just starting off in a career or retired. It doesn't matter how many kids you have or grandkids you have. We're all called to make disciples and follow Christ. And so with our new identity, we receive a new occupation. Another thing that we learn in these three verses is there's possessions that are in our lives that are hindering us from following Jesus. We see both Andrew and Peter, they leave their nets. They leave all their equipment. And I could have probably done a little more research on this, but I'm sure that this wasn't cheap. And yet they leave everything to follow Jesus. 
And so my question then for myself and for us today is are there things in our lives that are hindering us from following Jesus? If it's your phone and you just spend hours scrolling through Instagram or looking on internet and things you shouldn't, get rid of it. If it's video games that's taking up your time, get rid of it. Stop it. May we follow after Jesus. May we take that time and sit and read this word. Know this word. May we be honest with ourselves and get rid of things that are hindering us from following after Jesus. I do want to say that I have been very encouraged lately by the men of this church, several men of this church, who I have seen become part of a D group, that have, I've seen study the scriptures. I've seen how the scriptures have been working in their lives. And I pray that one day, all men here and women, that we would just fall in love with this word, that we can't just get enough of this word, that we would read this word. May we get rid of worldly things that just waste our time. And maybe I'm just speaking to myself because I know I waste a lot of time. And so in these first three verses, we see that when we follow Jesus, our identity changes, our occupation changes, and we give up the things that are hindering us from following Him. Let's keep going. In verse 21, it says this, Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets. Let's pause real quick right there, make some observations. Again, we get two more brothers, James and John. Another familiar names here. Notice some repetition here. Matthew uses repetition. It's going to be important in just a little bit. The repetition is James is... So, following Jesus, we get a new identity. How we identify in the things of this world are no longer, but we identify as followers of Christ. We get a new occupation. Go, therefore, and make disciples. We cast away, we get rid of anything that is hindering us from following after Jesus. We're called to love Him more than even our family. I want to conclude with this story about a missionary. He has a great legacy, but he may not be well known. His name is John G. Patton. He was born to James and Janet Patton on May 24, 1824 in Scotland. 
His parents were faithful followers of Christ. His dad desired to go into the ministry, but quickly realized that the Lord isn't calling him there. But that didn't stop him from praying regularly for his children and teaching his children the word of God. He would do devotions twice every day, and he would lead his, many of his children to the Lord. And three of his children will become ministers of the gospel, including John Patton. John, from a young age, felt the call to be a missionary. And so, eventually he saved up, and he started taking, went to seminary. But due to his health, he had to return home. After recovering, he went back to college. But before that semester was over, he couldn't pay his tuition. But the sovereignty and faithfulness of the Lord provided John with a teaching position at Mary Hill Free Church School. Upon getting there, he was told that the students were notorious for getting in trouble. So he was given a cane and was encouraged to use that frequently. But John took a different approach. Instead of bringing obedience through terror, he brought it through love. And it was this love in the acts that John performed that transformed this school. And the school then became flourishing and growing. After the season of teaching, John stepped into uh, a career in city min- missionary in the lower end of Glasgow in Scotland. After 10 years of preaching and proclaiming the word of God and seeing many come to Christ, he felt the call to go overseas. For his church that he was a member of came to him and shared about the people in the South Seas. And so for two years they're advertising and desiring missionaries to go to the South Seas to witness to cannibals. After some time, John came to the conclusion that God was calling him to go. Nineteen years earlier, on November 30th, 1839, two missionaries went to the South Seas, and specifically to New Hembreeds. Names were John Williams and John Harris. And they went to these islands, and within minutes of their arrival, they were martyred in the South Seas. So the task set before John Patton was a dangerous undertaking, yet the church knew that these people were ready to receive the gospel. For a few years later, one of the murderous sons of the missionaries that were previously sent started building a church and started proclaiming the gospel. So before setting off, John experienced great Criticism. Saying, why are you leaving such a fruitful ministry here in Scotland? But yet, his parents were always in support of him. And this gave him the encouragement that he needed. April 2nd, 1858, he eventually married a woman named Mary Ann Robbins. Fourteen days later, they both set sail together. 
to the mission station in Antium, an island near Vanuatu. The pair would soon set to establish a new station on the island of Tanna, the natives of which were untouched by Western society. John and Mary were the first white residents on the island full of painted wild, wild cannibals who had no idea of right or wrong, worshiping and fearing numerous gods, living in con- continual dread of evil spirit, consistently fighting amongst one another. Their task was great and dangerous. Upon arrival of, on this island of Tana, John and Mary had a son who was named Peter. However, on March 3rd, Mary Patton died of pneumonia, and later their son, Peter, also passed away. After grieving his wife and child, Patton began to do the work for the next four years of proclaiming the gospel in the island. He was in constant fear of his life, yet over and over his faith sustained him in the most threatening and frightening situation. He faced sickness regularly. He usually slept with his clothes on, never knowing when his house would be surrounded or ambushed. Yet he found his courage through prayer in claiming the promises of God and finding peace in the most terrifying circumstances, such as when he ran into the middle of contending parties in order to prevent war or was surrounded by armies, armed natives. After years of proclaiming the gospel, the natives were not responsive. Only one person, was, that one person was a chief. And this chief would come to John when he heard rumor that other tribesmen were on their way to kill him. Eventually, Things got so bad that he had to leave this island to go back to Scotland. But eventually, his heart was still with these natives, and he still desired to proclaim the gospel of Christ to these natives. He remarried to Margaret, and Margaret would faithfully assist John until her death in May 16, 1905. In 1886, John and his wife settled on Anua, a small island near Tana. In Noar, the friendly chief who had warned John of different dangers urged John to come, John to come back to the island. Upon arriving to the island, John went the usual business of purchasing a plot of land and building a house he and his family were received by the Inwan people with much more welcoming arms than former Tenzi's natives. In building a house, an incident occurred which afterwards proved of great benefit to Patton. One day, having need of some nails and tools, he picked up a wood chip and wrote a few words on it. Handing it to the old chief, he told him to take it to Miss Patton. When the chief saw her look at the chip then got, get the things needed, he was filled with amazement. From that time on, the chief took great interest in the work of mission, and when the Bible was being translated into the Aniwa language, he pro- proved to be invaluable aid. John also helped treat Aniwans with proper medicine for their illness and dug a well in the middle of the island so that the people could have fresh water. 
At first the people thought he was crazy, but when they saw it was need fresh water, their friend had not fallen into the sea by digging into the island. An old chief exclaimed, Missy, what can we do to help you? This was the beginning of a new era on Aniwa that helped John gain the trust with people. The following Sunday, the chief preached a sermon on the well. In the days that followed, multitudes of natives brought their idols to the mission where they were destroyed. Henceforth, Christianity gained a permanent foothold on the island. In the next 15 years, John and Margaret Patton saw the entire island of Aniwa turn to Christ. And years later, he wrote, I claimed Aniwa for Jesus, and by the grace of God, Aniwa now worships at the Savior's feet. Patton admitted that at times his heart wavered as he wondered whether the people could be brought to the feet of Jesus and realize the need for him in their lives. But he took heart from the power of the gospel and from the fact that thousands of Anitium had come to Christ. At the end of his life, he wrote this to his children. I think it is important for us to hear these words as well. He writes this, Let me record my immovable conviction that this is the noblest service in which any human being can spend or be spent, and that if God gave me back my life to be lived over again, I would without one quiver of hesitation lay it on the altar of Christ that he might use it before in similar ministries of love, especially among those who have never heard, never yet heard the name of Jesus. Nothing that has been endured and nothing that can befall me makes me tremble. On the contrary, I deeply rejoice when I breathe the prayer that it may please the blessed Lord to turn the hearts of my children to the mission field and that he may open up their way and make their pride and joy to live and die in carrying Jesus and his gospel into the heart of the heathen world. John Piper, in his short biography on John Patton, says this, He was a courageous man who understood how to do missions when dying is gain. God is sovereign, and Patton knew it. He endured one threat after another and put it all on the line for the glory of Christ. May this be true of us. May we examine our lives and be honest before the Lord and with ourselves. Are we following Jesus? May we read biographies of missionaries and people who are on fire for Jesus and may that Continue to encourage us to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do know us, and we thank you that you do call us to follow after Jesus. Father, we know that following Jesus is not easy, but it is the only thing worth dying for and the only thing worth living for. So, Father, continue to grab a hold of our hearts so that we can grow in our knowledge of love for and obedience to you while depending upon your Spirit and helping others do the same. It is in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. We're going to enter into a time of communion.